1: This is your host, Kirsten Franklin. All right, guys, on this week's episode, we have with us an author, Chambers U.S.-ranked attorney and proud mom of two kids. She's been a lawyer for 27 years, starting as a prosecutor, handling some of the toughest violent crimes in Washington, D.C., many of which involve women and children. And for the past 20 years, she has been really representing companies in crisis situations, defending them against government regulators and institutions. In 2018, she was selected as the first woman to serve as special counsel to the DC Commission on Disabilities and Tenure, where she's actually responsible for advising the commission on and investigating all complaints made against the DC judges, um, you know, their conduct as in office. Uh, Additionally, she serves as a director on the board of the Women's Bar Association Foundation, whose mission is to provide grants to nonprofit organizations in DC that are focused on the legal needs of women and children. Um, throughout her career, she's received numerous awards, uh, both in private practice and as a prosecutor for her service and excellence. So this week, I want you guys to welcome Amy Conway-Hatcher. Thanks, Welcome, Kristen. Amy. Good to see you. So Amy, I'm going to start off with, uh, with this. So obviously, this podcast is all about women leaders. Uh, many of us have families and I thought it was interesting because, as researching your background, you're actually writing a book or have recently written a book with your 13 year old daughter. Is that correct?
0: I'm in the process of writing the book with her help, um, and it's been an incredible experience. Yeah, tell me a little bit about how um, that kind of came about. Um, you know, it's it's sort of interesting. I um, it's been a process. It's been an evolution. And when I started the book, I I had no anticipation that it would be where it is. Um I had a really tough year last year. I had a very busy professional um year uh where you know as you know with big law um lawyers you know sometimes you're billing crazy hours um and it was like a 200 300 hour a month um year oh. which was brutal and my dad got sick. Um we weren't sure he was going to make it and he has Alzheimer's. He wanted up in mem- memory care. Um, I had some health issues that resolved, but it was, it was just a really, really tough year. And when I came out of the year, I knew I just needed a reset. I knew I needed a little bit of time and a little bit of space. I wanted to reconnect with my family. I wanted to reconnect with myself, frankly, um, and figure out, you know, where am I in my life and my career? Am I where I want to be? Am I where I thought I'd be? And where do I want to go next? And so I sort of was in this exploration mode anyway. Um, and I, I had met um, a great executive coach who, um, whose philosophy was slow down. Um, you need to take a break. And I, I sort of laughed at her and I said, you know, give me 10 minutes and, uh, and we'll talk like or just, you know, give, make the world stop for 10 minutes. And then uh, COVID hit. And I swear, you know, some of my friends think that I'm to blame because I was waiting for some sign for the world to slow down. So, when I started the process of writing a book, it was a suggestion by a friend. I love to write. I love to, um, I love to learn. But I had sort of gotten into this gerbil wheel mode, as a lot of working moms do and lawyers do, of just moving so fast that I sort of didn't have time to really take my head out of the sand and look at the world around me and, and think. Um, so, that's what the book started as. It was my opportunity to take a look around and see where I was and what I thought um, and then, as I looked around uh, one morning, my 13-year-old daughter walked in the kitchen, and she was somehow three inches, two inches taller than me. And I was stunned, <laughs> right? Like I thought, "Oh my God, how did I, how did I miss all of that happening? It's happened so fast." And so we started talking, and at first, it was sort of a joke having her get involved, and then she really started to get involved, and I started to learn from her um, and hear her voice about not only what it was, you know, like for in a reaction to my experience as a working mom, but her experience of having a working mom and watching working moms and thinking about what she wants for her future. So we've started to weave that into the book and it's been an incredible adventure. Uh, Definitely from our personal perspective, I've learned a lot, Um, but we've also been able to connect to some really neat people um, who have enjoyed both speaking with me from an adult perspective, but also, um, you know, having, Conversations or hearing about um, my daughter Olivia's perspectives too.
1: I love that because I too am a working mom. I happen to be a single working mom. Um, I, you know, I same thing. I I I quit the law. So it's <laughs> like he's done. No, I can't do it. Not by myself. I'm like, um, so because of that. Because of what you just mentioned, right? You have these 200 hour months, and it's just, you know, you do get stuck on that hamster wheel, and then I think you kind of get stuck kind of mentally and emotionally and unless you're able to take that break i used to vacation in miami for a long weekend every month i would always take a friday off fly down stay there fly back because that was the way that initially i had learned to handle it as opposed to changing my entire lifestyle and that doesn't require a job change for me it did i just wasn't living my purpose through my medium of you know legal practice but i would love to hear what your biggest takeaways so far mm-hmm with your conversation and your daughter with your daughter um, and her perspective of having a mom that really does, you know, put the pedal to the metal and works a lot of hours, you know, good and bad. So one good thing. And one, one thing, not that it's bad, but one thing maybe you could have done differently.
0: Well, and, and I wouldn't say differently because I don't know that I would have some of these realizations had I not gone through the experience that I've had. And so I I'm, I'm the, uh, the biggest, uh, one of my, um, <clears throat> Bigger faults is that I'm I'm always sort of second guessing myself. Should I have done this sooner? Should I have not done this sooner? But I am where I am, mm-hmm. and so I sort of you know sitting with the reality of where I am. I would say that um, you know my daughter has um, has seen what it's like to um, to live with to have a mom who is a very strong person um, and who's had to operate in you know both a man's world and a woman's world, if you will. The man's world in the sense of, you know, I, I work in, as you know, laws predominantly male. A lot of the companies that I work for, I'm sitting with boards or executive teams that are male, or maybe they have one or two women. Um, but but that's the world that I've had to learn how to navigate professionally and navigate in a way where I can be myself, where I can be strong because that's why they're hiring me. They're not hiring somebody to do corporate investigations and to vet, defend them before the government who's weak or, you know, sort of a wallflower. They want somebody who's strong. But there's also this tension of how do you deal with a woman who's strong? Um, so I, I think that there's value in that for, for Olivia because she can, she can see that you can do a lot of things. Um, I think the downside really that she's seen is, you know, where women try to do it all. Um, and there are times where you know I'm fielding phone calls at home, or I'm preparing for the next day, and my daughter wants her mom, and I want to be a mom, right? I want to be there for her as a mom, but that also requires you to give your time not narr- not necessarily, you know, hey, you have ten minutes, <laughs> your right. ten available minutes. This is your time to talk because she's 13. She doesn't know when she's going to have that moment where she's going to want to share. So it's finding, you know, ways to be around and be more present um, in a way that means you have to, you know, deprioritize other things. And so that's been sort of a balance. But for her, you know, one of the things that I've learned from her is that I think um, people her age, and I would say in the Georgetown program where I'm writing, some of the people in that age, I mean, they're not afraid of hard work, but they do think that we've sort of messed up in how overscheduled we are and how we've taken it to that next level of planning. We're so busy and so um, overscheduled that we don't give ourselves time to think, to learn, to explore, to fail safely, right? And and to use those failures as a learning process because um, we we just, frankly, I I think, don't give ourselves enough time.
1: Right. Absolutely. And now, just I'm going to remind the listeners, you actually have two kids. So talk to me about how that's been with this whole COVID transition. Because guys, if you don't understand big law, (laughs) this is one of my evil things I hated about them. They really weren't down with a remote practice, right? Many, many of the big law firms, probably about 95%. And I say this because I own a legal recruiting company. I no longer manage in it. I still own it. But you know, this is my history, right? I've come up in law. I've worked with every law firm out there. And so Traditionally, most of them, I used to call them face firms, meaning they like you to pop in, they like you to be there, you know. For some reason it gave them psychological, you know, solace that there were heads in their office and something must be getting done, right? True or not true, couldn't tell you. But they're very against or were very against allowing people to work remotely on a consistent basis. Like if you're out on vacation, yeah, sure. Go work on your vacation, go work remotely. But they're not traditionally the types that will be like, yeah, yeah, sure. Work from home for this month, right? Unless something was happening and they're trying to accommodate. So now they've been forced to uh, really get that up and going and allow people and I think it's great as a, a corporation because they're learning like, hey, maybe we could scale down on the HR and have remote people. Maybe we could scale down on this area, right? Which as a partner, you know, is great because that's your money. <laughs> but, you know, tell me how it's been for you, one, within the practice and going remote, but then too in this family structure, right? You have this whole thing you have to juggle. The kids are probably home trying to go to like remote learning. You're remote working for the first time. Now you're all in the same, even if it's the same house, different rooms, you're all, you know, knocked on the door a lot easier, right? <laughs> trying to talk to you than if you're away at the office. So tell me how you've managed that and how it's gone so far.
0: So my experience is a little bit different than yours. I do remember the FaceTime thing when I first went into law firms, but. Um, and I'm almost, but that was back in 2000. Um, and there was a little bit more requirement on, you know, a FaceTime then I, I was an associate at the time working on some big cases with partners. And there were times where they were sort of old school and they wanted me to be in the office, but, but really, you know, pretty early into my law firm career, I was very much a remote person anyway. Um, I was on the road a lot. I, you know, I just traveled a lot. When I needed to be in the office, there were times where, you know, I would go in on my own time to make sure that I had meetings with teams. But there was a part of me that thought when I was home and I was in, the, in town, that was a time that I couldn't give up with my kids. So if there was a school event or a way to spend time with my kids, you know, I would make sure that I made it home for dinner, that, you know, I, I, I did things to, to work remote, um, which I sort of have some uh, conflict with. Um, and I'll explain to you what that means. I, I was one of those people who early on in my career, I met with, I remember meeting with a woman, um, she was an executive, and she was telling me how the BlackBerry was the greatest thing ever, and it would change my life. It meant that I could work from anywhere, at any time, for anyone, whenever they needed me. And it would give me freedom to not only be it all professionally, but be it all personally. And I remember getting that message and thinking, huh, is that really right? Is that possible to do it all? And I think I really tried for a long time. But what I realized is that there's no separation. What you find is that, you know, you're you're living in this world where people think that they can reach you anytime because you don't have to be in an office to take a phone call. Um, There's sort of this warped sense of reality that happens there, too. So in the remote world, in terms of the transition, I've really focused on when do I shut down? When am I not available Um, it, it, the nice thing about being virtual these days is everybody accepts the fact if some kid runs into the room, you know, needs help with something that people are really accepting of that and responsive to it because it's happening to everybody. So there's a lot more, I think, um, uh, there's a lot more casualness, um, and accepting of the reality of people's situations and finding them where they are today than maybe there was six months ago. And I think that that's a good thing. Um, in terms of my kids, I mean, I'm pretty fortunate. I have an 11-year-old who um, is in a school that actually did virtual really well, and a you know, now 13-year-old who's in a school that also, I think, was, was, they were a little bit slower, but they, they moved up pretty quick. And I think everybody's doing well. The kids are engaged with their classes. They like their classes. Um, I, I, I'm sort of fortunate. I'm in this age range where they're self-sufficient, but they still want to be with us. Um, and they don't need too much supervision. I think where I, you know, struggle with the supervision is that they're better at technology than I am. So, <laughs> you know, I never know when they're going to break into the parental controls and change the amount of time that they're allowed online. But I have to say, we've been pretty fortunate and they've done, they've done very well. I think it has given us the opportunity to have lunch together, have breakfast together, or to meet up at times that we didn't have before. Um, and it's a lot easier to talk about your day because you're, yeah. you're there, you've avoided the commute. So my preference is, um, frankly, to stay more remote in the future, uh, because it does allow for you to actually have family time in a way that you wouldn't have if you were sitting in traffic for an hour each way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love the lunchtime thing. My daughter and I have the same thing, too. We, we have a set schedule, because her school also uh, did remote extremely well at first I was like wow that's a lot of time like it's like they didn't leave school like how's it going to be from home now I'm like so thankful I'm like oh perfect like perfect <laughs> two-hour lunch break she goes for two classes in the morning two-hour break two classes in the afternoon she's done by four she wants to sit in her room and do her homework I'm like perfect <laughs> like,
0: it, right? is. it is. and then they do come find you when you know when things come up and because they're not as I don't know, it's a, you know, it's difficult because they're not as in touch with some of their friends, but that does lead them back to, to you. And the one thing that I would say to any parent is if you are fortunate enough to be able to have some of that t- time at home with your kids, we're never going to get this back. Yeah. We're never going to get this back at a point where, um, you know, these kids sort of need their parents and, um, and they're evolving and changing so quickly. Um, I, you know, I feel like there was, a. Uh, I know this has been extraordinarily difficult for some people and I'm not taking away from that at all, but, but I would say that there has been a silver lining for a lot of people too, um, and that they're seeing things a little bit differently.
1: Yeah. And a lot of listeners that we have, uh, are coming from the real estate investing space and, um, you know, that was one of the things that I kept pushing for them to understand is that whenever there's a downside, there's an upside, find the upside. Mm -hmm. You have to find the upside. You can't stay static. You can't be like, oh, well, I'll wait for it to come back, find the upside. And it's so true in real estate because there's always an upside in real estate. No matter where you're going, there's an upside, right? You know, it's just a matter of are you prepared and do you have what you need in order to capitalize on the upside? Um, I want to bring bring you back for a second because in the beginning, you mentioned hiring a coach. Now, obviously, I'm an executive coach, so I understand. And I actually have five coaches of my own. Um, I understand the value. But for those who are listening, what do you think the value was in hiring that particular coach? And what do you feel like she brought to the table or he brought to the table and did for you or with you?
0: You know, I, I'm somebody who's believed in executive coaches for almost my entire career, and I get them on my own. I, I do not hire them through the firm because I like to have separate feedback that's sort of my own personal um, not just professional um, you know professional coaching, but how that fits in with with my personal goals as well. Um, and, I, and I think it's the only way that I've found in the gerbil wheel of my life and you know juggling all the, the balls in the air that I juggle um, to to have a space that's for me. Um, I would I've had different coaches with different philosophies, different ways of looking at things, um, different approaches the The most recent um, coach that, that I, um, found Susie Kerr. I found her through a friend. She's in Alexandria, Virginia. She's wonderful. Um, the thing that I liked about her was that she was unstructured and I needed unstructured at that point in my, in my life, because I was so overstructured, you know, I'm so over planned that I needed to deconstruct all of my plans and see what was there and figure out what are the pieces that I wanted to rebuild in a new plan? Um, what are the pieces that I, that I, that I liked having in my life and in my worldview. And what are the other things that, you know, maybe I had to take time to learn. So one of the things that she said to me early on was, you know, Amy, I mean? you need to be get comfortable being uncomfortable and not knowing. I'm not going to help you the plan today. I'm going to start to deconstruct everything that you've set up and we're going to figure out what pieces of it you like, what pieces of it you don't like, and you know, what you want to do, what you want to accomplish over the next 10 years. And I have to say that I've always sort of had this master plan where I sort of knew what the next step was going to be. But there, I, I think in the flow of life and being a working mom and just being super busy, I'd, I had lost that. And so it was important to sort of get back to basics. And that's what she allowed me to do. So I would say when you're selecting a coach, there are different coaches that are going to work for you at different phases of your life and different people that are going to fill different needs and have different approaches that may fit you at one time that you know, are better than you know, something that fit you another time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this. What was some of her methodology? Because, you know, I always tell my clients, slow down to speed up, whether that's in business, whether that's personal, (laughs) because I always feel like you have to have the map. And so people are always so busy going for the goal that they miss all of the steps needed to build the systems and processes to cleanly, happily, joyfully get to that goal, right? They're just rushing and rushing. They're like, oh, but I see it. I see it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this. I'm going to, and then nothing, Right, and it makes you feel like you're a hamster on a wheel, like you're running and chasing this this happy end result, and you're almost there, but not quite. Like you're almost there, and then you just slide yeah. back, right? And so, what were some of the things that she helped you in order to just simply slow down? Because I think that's the hardest thing for everyone to do.
0: It is, but you know, she got she got lucky with um, with COVID because I sort of all of a sudden I had to stop traveling. I had to put my suitcase away. I looked life differently. I wasn't going out to the office. I wasn't in traffic. I had this time. Um, you know that also made me a bit of a um, of a tough customer because when I first met her, you know, I had this laundry list of things that I laid out for her, and I was like, "This is what you're going to fix," and <laughs> and she just sort of she sort of laughed because it, it was it, it was a lot. I you know I again I was sort of at a crossroads. I needed to figure some things out. I needed to rebalance where my where I was in my life. And so she was one of the techniques that she used was post its. Um, we, we put up calendars you know, for the rest of the year um, on the wall. And then we had post its that were color coded based on what, what were absolute non negotiables. Yep. So a birthday, an, an event for one of the kids. Now, again, all of that changed with COVID. Um, but the other color coded were you know, some, some short goals small goals, like what are some things that, um, some books that I wanted to read or that she wanted me to read, um, some journaling goals that I had. um, And this was before I started the book. When COVID happened and the book happened, it totally rejiggered things because I was doing things at a different pace um, and on some of the topics I was really interested in as part of my book journey. So that accelerated things in a different way. And then COVID gave me a little bit of time that I wouldn't have otherwise had. So I would say that our relationship has become more collaborative. Um, and and she, you know, she provides me with coaching and feedback, but it's really sort of taking me to the next level. And she's also become just a really good friend.
1: Right. Awesome. I love it. For those of you who don't have coaches, you need them, period.
0: <laughs> I think you're right. Everybody... Everybody needs them.
1: Well, and you were so intelligent that if you really understood the value that they bring to the table early on in your career, it's much easier as you excel to find the people that do that do service you in the right way. Because like she, like you said, like the, there's different levels, there's different ways for everybody. And who gets you to the, your first level might not be the people that get you to your next level, right? You, and you don't want to. I mean, it's gonna sound weird because I'm a coach, right? But you actually don't want to have me year after year Consistently being the only voice that you're listening to. You need to have variety. You need to have different backgrounds, different people coming in, um, because I think that's what builds that level
0: of excellence that, you're, that we're all striving for. I think that's right, and you're not the only one who I've heard say that you have five. Um, You know, there are a lot of people, and I guess define what you think is a a, what you who you define as a coach because it it almost seems like everybody out there is a coach these days. And you have to find people who you know are sort of your core executive team um, who are going to help you, um, uh, you know, challenge you on your goals and your goal setting, and hold you accountable for some of the things that you want to do or the things that you want to explore. The other thing that I found is. You know, that you can also overplan these things. One of the things that I lost over time um, that I think is really, really important for everyone is, you know, the the push to explore, the push to be curious, to ask, why am I doing something that I'm doing? And what is it bringing to me or bringing to other people around you? Where, where, Where is the value that I bring to the table? I think that we're so focused on giving each other labels now in social media. I am X. You know, my purpose is Y. And I think we've, I, I think it's almost we've overdone it. Yeah. There, there's this um, exploration piece that I think is missing. That's what I'm in the middle of right now, and I could not be happier. Um, I couldn't be more scared because I don't know where to lead. But I also couldn't be happier because for the first time, I'm, I'm, I don't want to say the first time, but first time in a while, I'm being able to be more curious and to just enjoy the process of exploring as opposed to having a very specific end goal. Right. Um, I know I'm going to have an end goal at some point. I know I'll get there, but I do think that that process is really important. It's important for you to be a detective and an investigator and a code breaker in your own life. Um, and if you sort of don't intentionally take that opportunity to do that, you you miss something. So I would say the tribe, the sort of the executive tribe that you described, right. um, is really helpful. Whether it's a combination of executive, spiritual, um, you know friend or, um, you know, I've, I've heard, heard people use different resources and I, I think it's an excellent idea.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I love the fact that you were just talking about exploration and, you know, it's actually been studied in psychology that the pursuit of happiness actually decreases your level of happiness, it Started <laughs> right? But, but when you're just let it go and I want this message to be drilled home to everyone who listens because everything is fluid. Now, I work with eye-level executives such as yourself. And it's funny because when you, oh, all of you, when you come to me, you're like, this is it. And, like, you, the people get really um, stressed out or concerned when it's, like, not hard and fast for them. And what the thing is is that it's fluid, guys. Your purpose when you were 10 could be different than the purpose you are when you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Like, you know, and your why will change over time. You don't, you know, find the why and purpose for now at this level in this moment, don't worry about it. You know, if it's enough to resonate within you and drive you to the next level, it's good enough. And that's all you're really looking for. And for all of us who are
0: overachievers,
1: when we hear good enough, it's not okay, <laughs>
0: right? It's like, what do you mean? It's not perfect. Like a- but you know what? It's better. I, and I think that's one of the things that we fail to recognize is that that's innovation. That's what allows you to, to try new things. That's what's going to, I think, those are the people who are going to be most successful coming out of this pandemic. Oh, yeah. The people who have an open mind, who are not only thinking about positive, because I think that helps and I think everybody has to do it, but people who are sort of uh, extending and ex- Expanding their 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 field of view, their the photographic lens that they see their life through, um, so that they can see both sides of an argument, so that they can see other people's perspective and where they struggle, um, so that they can see possibilities, um, you know that that they might not have seen otherwise. One of the chapters that we're writing, and it's so funny that you talked about purpose because I'm I'm. Feeding that topic to death in a in a chapter that I'm writing right now has been up since four in the morning writing it, but um, there's this there's this top this this thing that we've been studying called mind chatter, uh, and it was a, a concept that I heard through a friend of mine who's a sports psychologist. His name is Dr. Mitch Green, um, and mind chatter is sort of that voice in your head that tells you you're not good enough. It's the negative bias. It's the that sort of negative chatter that. Um, is the thing the ga- the the thing within the game the game within the game right the side game that gets you um, lost or uh, or holds you back in some way and what we've realized is that if you're not learning how to manage that mind chatter that part of the side game in your head you're not going to see as many possibilities as you could so it 's not that you have to quiet it it's not that you have to kill it. It's not that you have to, my words to him, you know, duct tape it. Can we just duct tape it and stick it in the <laughs> corner? The answer to all those is no, but you do have to manage it. You do have to understand how it shows up and where it's showing up to protect you and where it's showing up where you basically need to acknowledge it, but set it aside so that you can move forward because that's where courage comes. That's where innovation comes. That's where people are going to have really good ideas that, you know, kick us into that next generation. we where- We're going to have to pick up the economy. We're going to have to find new ways of doing business and new ways of living. Um, And I think the people who have really open mindsets and are thinking about those possibilities, um, you know, again, recognizing that there's fear and, you know, negative emotion around that too, um, and negative experiences that people are having. But how do we sort of work through that to help us see possibility?
1: Right. Awesome. Awesome. So if you were to leave our listeners with one big takeaway, what would you like to leave them with?
0: be a lifelong learner, Um, (laughs) you know, find ways to explore, to open your field of vision um, and don't get, don't ever settle for where you are today. That's what I would say. I think that's probably the biggest lesson I've had over the last four or five months.
1: Awesome. I love it. So that is it for this week. Thank you for joining me. And I hope that you enjoyed today's show. If so, don't forget to rate it. If you guys have a pressing question, feel free to tweet me at CS Thrive uh, or on Instagram at Thrive Tribe 3.14159. Again, I know that's a weird one. It's just pi. So it's three, it's Thrive underscore tribe underscore 3.14159. Um, Or of course, you can join me in Facebook at my free group, which is Thrive Tribe Global. If you just search groups and you enter in Thrive Tribe Global, you should see us there um, and you can join it for free. Uh, I answer your questions in there. But if you guys send me a question through there, I will be sure to answer it here on this podcast. And as always, if you're ever interested in advertising on the show, please contact the Believe Network at believe, B-L-E-A-V, at believe.com. Thanks so much for joining me.